This is Allison Markoski and Nate Wiggyhout with your local news, coming to you live from the WORT studios in downtown Madison during our fall pledge drive. Keep your calls coming, and here are tonight's headlines. The UW system is seeing the highest number of new student enrollments since before the COVID pandemic. The Associated Press reports UW officials released preliminary data today showing that over 26,000 new students started class at a UW school this fall. Since 2018, UW has seen an average of around 25,000 new first-year students enroll each year. Overall enrollment, however, slightly dropped this year by around 1,500 students. The UW has seen fewer students in recent years due to fewer high school graduates across the state, as well as complications from the COVID pandemic. Madison has long been known as the 608, but that may soon change. The state's Public Service Commission announced today that South Central Wisconsin will be getting a new area code, 353. They say that the 608 area code is expected to run out of assignable prefix numbers, the number that com- the numbers that come directly after the 608 in 2024. The new area codes will not affect existing phone numbers and will only apply to new phone numbers. The new area code will go into effect by late 2023. Employees for the City of Madison might be getting a bonus soon to help ease inflation costs, Channel 3000 reports. At Tuesday's Common Council meeting, Mayor Satya Rhodes-Conway introduced a one-time $1,000 bonus to all full and part-time city employees. The money to cover this bonus comes from an insurance fund city employees already pay into, and in fact have contributed around 85% of the fund's total value. But those insurance costs have dropped over the years, and now that fund has a surplus of almost $7 million. Mayor Rhodes-Conway says that the bonus is a way of saying thanks to all city employees who have worked hard during the pandemic. The bonus still needs to be approved by the council, but if it passes, city employees should see their money by the end of February. The Dane County Board will consider an ordinance tonight that would prohibit the county from working with groups working to prosecute someone seeking an abortion. If passed, this ordinance would also ban the county from using any funds to groups or services that monitor, investigate, or prosecute someone seeking an abortion. After Roe was overturned earlier this year, Wisconsin reverted back to the previous law on the books, a 19th century ban that includes no exceptions for rape or incest. District 2 Supervisor Heidi Wegleitner, one of 15 sponsors of the ordinance, says that the ordinance shows that the board will use its power to protect abortion rights in Dane County. The Dane County Board will meet at 7 o'clock this evening. The meeting will be held both virtually and in person in room 201 of the city-county building. Last year, divers unearthed a 1,200-year-old dugout canoe in Lake Mendota, and today they found an even older one. The 3,000-year-old canoe was brought up from Lake Mendota today by the Wisconsin Historical Society and members of the Ho-Chunk Nation, who originally crafted the canoe. 
Remarkably, today's canoe was found by Tamara Thompson, who also discovered the 1,200-year-old canoe just 300 yards away last year. That's according to the Wisconsin State Journal. If radiocarbon dating on the canoe is correct, the canoe was built in 1226 BC, making it the oldest canoe found in the entire Great Lakes region, predating the invention of pottery in all, Wisconsin, all of Wisconsin's effigy mounds. The canoe will now head to the state archive to be photographed and scanned, where it will join its sibling before being displayed in the new Wisconsin Historical Museum, which is set to scheduled to open in 2026. And now for today's COVID numbers. There were 1,269 new confirmed COVID cases reported in Wisconsin yesterday, with an average of 1,035 new cases being reported across the state every day over the past week. Additionally, 9.9% of all recorded COVID tests in Wisconsin have come back positive over the past week. There were no reported deaths from the virus in Wisconsin yesterday. Here in Dane County, we have risen to medium levels of community spread of the virus, according to the metrics that are set by the CDC. There were 151 confirmed reported COVID cases in the county yesterday, as 53 people remain currently hospitalized from the virus. And those were your local headlines this evening. More than seven months after Quadron Wilson was shot in the back amidst an operation involving nearly two dozen agents from local, state, and federal police agencies, one of the officers involved has finally been charged. WORT producer Nate Wagehout has more. In February, Quadron Wilson was at a stoplight on Madison's east side when he was boxed into an intersection by unmarked vehicles. Officers from the Madison Police Department, Wisconsin DNR, State Patrol, Federal DEA, and the Wisconsin Department of Justice Division of Criminal Investigations descended on Wilson's car. Agents from the Department of Criminal Investigations fired on Wilson, causing him to be hit five times in the back by the fragments of one bullet, the Dane County Sheriff's Office later determined. Wilson survived, but was moved from an area hospital to the Dane County Jail just days after the incident. But the shooting and involvement of 21 police officers from five federal, state, and local agencies sparked community outcry and questions over why violent measures were necessary at all. Today, one of the two agents who shot Wilson was charged for his involvement. DCI agent Mark Wagner is charged with one count of reckless endangerment in the second degree, a felony that, if convicted, can carry up to a 10-year sentence and a fine up to $25,000. Dane County District Attorney Ishmael Ozane brought the charge, which also carries a modifier of use of a dangerous weapon. Steven Eisenberg is Wilson's attorney. He says that while two officers were involved in the incident, he doesn't know why only Wagner and not Nate Pesky, the other DCI agent who allegedly shot Wilson, was charged. I'm um, uh, not happy that the other shooter was not charged. I think this was a rapid-fire uh, situation where, at least according to the complaint, I can't verify that, seven shots were fired within five or ten seconds of Mr. Wilson's car getting slammed from the front and the back. Uh, I'm not sure why he wasn't charged, but that was my decision to make. While officials were initially quiet about why Wilson was arrested, he was later charged and pleaded guilty to selling fentanyl. 
Wagner is being charged with essentially pointing a loaded gun at Wilson and not with attempted homicide. Eisenberg says that this is because this is all the district attorney is able to prove. In order to get to the intent crimes, attempted homicide, uh, you'd have to show an intent to kill. And do I think that uh, Wagner got out of the car with intent to kill him? I sure the hell hope not. But that's what you'd have to show. It's a hard charge to show. And so we don't have that many. There's no homicide here, so you can't charge a homicide charge. So the really, you're left to... you. Could have, I suppose, charged uh, uh, negligent use of a weapon, uh, negligent discharge of a weapon. But this is probably the highest class, uh, the highest class of felony one could charge for the circumstances that occurred in this case. Usually, the job of investigating an officer-involved shooting falls on the State Department of Criminal Investigations. But because this shooting involved Asians from the DCI, that duty fell on the Dane County Sheriff's Department. WORT has twice requested the final report of the Dane County Sheriff's investigation into the shooting. Both were rejected due to an ongoing investigation, with instructions to resubmit the request in two months. At a preliminary hearing this morning, Wagner's attorney, Michael Steinle, who did not respond to WORT's request for comment by airtime, tried to get the complaint thrown out. Steinle said that the complaint did not show enough probable cause that Wagner meant to point his gun at Wilson. That request was denied. And while the complaint outlines some of the events of that February morning, Eisenberg says that it doesn't show the whole picture. I've, a, a criminal complaint is 12 pages long. It is a snippet it, uh, of, of what I believe to be probably hundreds, if not thousands, of police reports. I don't have those. And now that there's a criminal case, they're not going to be disclosed uh, through open records or any other way until the criminal case is concluded. Eisenberg says that his biggest issue with the incident is the fact that it was executed at all. Eisenberg asks, why did they decide to arrest him in his car on a busy street in the morning when he was wearing an ankle monitor showing them where he was at all times? Who decided this was a good idea? to put 21 cops together to take this guy down on a busy street. Thank God nobody, Mary going to work didn't get shot. So uh, the, 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 the civil liability, the problem in this whole case comes from the beginning, from the plan the night before. What a crazy thing to do to a human being. Both the Dane County District Attorney's Office and Sheriff's Office declined to comment on the case. Wagner was released on bail this morning and has a court date set for October 28th. Reporting for WORT News, I'm Nate Wuggie Hout. The time is now 6.32 and you're listening to the local news here on WORT 89.9 FM Madison. I'm your host, Allison Markoski with Nate Wagehout. Thanks for joining us tonight on the 6 p.m. local news. Every other Thursday, we air an excerpt from the Out of the Box podcast, which is focused on supporting current and formerly incarcerated people and their families. This week, host D-Star speaks with poet, artist, musician, and community leader James Morgan. Morgan gives us insight about the over 20 years he spent in prison and shares some poetry and wisdom as it relates to life on the inside and the outside. What's up, everybody? This is your host, D-Star, here with James Morgan. 
How you doing, James? Man, I'm doing well. It's nice to have you here. So, James, um, you have a very unique story and journey. I know it's a lot to unpack. Let's just start with telling us a little bit about yourself. Okay. Well, I'm uh, I'm originally from Saginaw, Michigan, uh, and Saginaw is approximately 100 miles north of Detroit. Uh, so, coming up, uh, I spent a lot of time in in, in those surrounding areas. Uh, I'm quite sure a lot of people have heard of Flint, Michigan, uh, Saginaw, Lansing, uh, all of those areas, you know, uh, father pretty much absent for many years, uh, mom pretty much absent <laughs> for many years. Uh, so my grandparents uh, primarily raised myself and my four siblings. Are you the oldest? I'm the oldest male. Oh, okay. Okay, I'm the oldest male. I have several. <laughs> I have several brothers. You know, uh, my mother gave birth to five children, and then my father had several children. Um, you know, over the course of of many years. Uh, but I also, you know, spent time with a lot of other family members, uh, cousins, uh, uncles, uh, who had a significant impact uh, on my life. Uh, most of my, my uncles were Vietnam veterans, uh, and a lot of them came home, you know, with those heroin addictions uh, and involved in, you know, trafficking of drugs. Uh, you know, early on, it was, it was a lot of what we call street life, you know, being out there hustling, you know, armed robbery. I mean, you name it, you know, we were engaged in a lot of those, those activities were, that were considered our norms, you know. Uh, but, but also let me share something with you that, because even in the midst of all of that, you know, I always, what I wanted to be when I was a kid and I, I'm, I'm coming to this point because I, I ask people this question. So it's fair that I asked it of myself. What did I want to be when I was a kid? What did I want to be when I was 12 or 13 years old? I always wanted to be an artist. Okay. So I, I, I would sketch and draw and do all those other things to you know increase my skill at becoming an artist but within the home environment within the culture of that time that wasn't something that was uh positively promoted so I wasn't it was many 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 years before I got back to my artistic endeavors but uh you know there's a lot of things that uh I enjoy doing you know I enjoy bike riding I enjoy sailing I enjoy fishing uh you know being with people uh, music, 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 you know, music, 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 <laughs> ah, music across every genre. Oh yeah. You know, I mean, if I feel like it, I'll listen to a little country. I'll listen to some classical. What feeds my soul is what I gravitate to in any particular situation or circumstance. You spent a significant time in prison. How long did you do in prison? I did 24 and a half uh, years straight. I went into the system with a 55-year sentence, and that was in 1983. Uh, and back then, that sentence was deemed so severe that uh, the expectation was that I would serve more time than a person with a life sentence. Uh, back then, the average lifer served like 13 and a half, you know, and either got a grant of parole or shortly thereafter. Uh, so it was a significant amount of time. Uh, 24 and a half years, very interesting years. You know, I think the thing that I would want to share off the top is that the one thing uh, prison taught me, if it taught me anything, was to never take anything for granted ever again in my life. My freedom, my family, 
my ability to choose, uh, you know, what my journey would look like, what my st- my story would be, if I want to use that term story, uh, because it was a reality. It wasn't just a story. So when are, what were the most influential books that you read while you were in prison? Oh, man. Yeah. <laughs> What was uh, if I, okay? Well, <laughs> what was the book that kicked it off? What was what was the one that lit the fire? I would say one one was the destruction of black civilization. The destruction of black civilization laid out a roadmap for me. Okay, of what I had the potential to become. It also laid out a strategic process whereby I and my people could claim their sovereignty. Okay, that was one book. Another book. Uh, that impacted me and still impacts me today, the crisis of the black middle class. Uh, and of course, you know, the, the, the key to go to is El Haj Malik El Shabazz, the autobiography of Malcolm X. Okay. Uh, but there were many, uh, you know, the autobiography, uh, Nelson Mandela, okay, on leadership and choices and decision-making, uh, even when it's unpopular, you know, being able to have a vision uh, for moving forward, uh, even when you don't have the support for that vision. Uh, one one of the books that, uh, another book uh, that I've, you know, referred for people to uh, deals with uh, white supremacy. Because uh, we often talk about race and racism, but we don't talk about the systems of white supremacist structure. Uh, that set the foundation for what happens in the world. So there's been a lot of books, you know. Uh, while I was incarcerated, I took a women's <laughs> study course because I wanted to see the contribution of our women, you know, uh, those who, who aren't as popular uh, but had and still have to this day, you know, some very strong narratives and, and voices uh, that helped to carry me through day to day. So let's speak to some of the work that you do now in the community. You were released in what what year? Well, my last stint with incarceration was in 2015. I actually came home from that 24 and a half years uh, in 2006. In 2006, and then you were revocated in 2015 for rule violation, violation, but you didn't commit any crimes or anything. So can you kind of tell us about that whole journey? Uh, We just had uh, Cheryl Knox, who's a former uh, parole officer for over 30 years, kind of speak to like the roles and responsibilities of the parole officer from her perspective, mm-hmm. right? What do you think about locking people back up, right? Or rule violations without committing a new crime? I could talk about how it's not fair. I could talk about how it should not happen. But the reality is that it does. You know, this this is a system, you know, and we talked a bit that, you know, narrative is the system is broken and, and it's not. And so, you know, when you, when one is engaging with, you know, probation agents, you know, parole agents, what I share with individuals is build a relationship. And I know how difficult that is because during my period of incarceration, I never heard anything positive right, <laughs> about right. a single parole or probation agent. 
Throw on your sweater because fall is finally here. And nobody loves fall quite as much as WORT producer Nate Wagehout and Pat Hasberg with the DNS Bait Shop here in Madison because that means that walleye season is in full swing. All righty, I am on the line now with Pat Hasberg over at the DNS Bait Shop here in Madison. Pat, how have the fish been biting lately? What's been going on? Well, we got uh, some cooler temps come in here, and uh, that's turned the fish on. They feel that uh, winter is creeping up on us, and they are getting ready for it just like we are, starting to stock up uh, on the food, and, and they're, they've been biting pretty good all, all around town. All right, then let's just get right into it. What's been happening over on Lake Mendota? What's been happening there? Well, out of Mendota, the perch bite still has been pretty slow, but it's bound to pick up here anytime. Perch uh, developed their eggs over the winter, and so they're going to need to start stocking up uh, on food here pretty quick, so that bite's bound to turn on anytime soon. But the good news is that the bluegills have been kind of filling in that role. There's been a lot of good bluegill action out there. Uh, walleyes and smallmouth have been caught out on mid-lake humps, and that action continues to uh, improve. And also the the walleyes and bass are moving in shallow now, too, with these cooler temperatures. They're, they're in the shallower water chasing minnows around. So it's a, it's a great time of year to be out fishing. And talking about walleye a little bit here, I, I, you know, we've mentioned a few times, those are sort of the Wisconsin fish, the walleye there. What's for people who want to go out and maybe haven't really fished much for walleye before, what, what are some good ways to uh, go for walleye here in the Madison area? What, what, what do you sort of recommend? Well, you know, if you're in a boat or I guess if you're in a boat or on shore, uh, it's hard to beat a slip bobber with a, with a, uh, walleye-sized fathead minnow below it. Um, you can also put a minnow on a jig and cast those out and just jig them along the bottom. Or any any type of a hard bait, uh, like a, a Rapala or any type of a um, crankbait that you can cast out and bring back that imitates a minnow is uh, going to be a pretty safe bet this time of year. That's kind of what these fish are keying in on is those large protein meals that they're stocking up for the for the, for the winter, like I said. So anything that mimics or or is a minnow is a pretty safe bet this time of year. All right, and real quickly moving on, let's look at Lake Monona. What's been happening there? Well, the bluegill bite out there continues to be good, and they're getting perch on the weed lines. I haven't heard much about walleye yet, but that bite's going to turn on here real soon. Um, but the big news out there is, of course, the world-class musky fishery that we have out there. Those fish have uh, really... Um, put their feed bag on and they are have been getting caught all over the lake this time of year so it's a good time of year to be looking for them all right and now lastly uh because i want to say it is almost october already it really hasn't felt like it until today when i finally got to put on a sweater and stuff but with october means the end of trout season that's coming up in just a couple of weeks so uh if you have a chance get out there while you still can but what's been happening with the uh, trout in the area well, uh, I was just out on Sunday, and I had a great day uh, again on hoppers, and that hopper bite is going to continue until we get the first good hard frost, and then those hoppers will be killed off. But um, after that, uh, there, there's still plenty of good fly fishing to be had. Uh, blue-winged olives, caddisflies are, are pretty safe bets this time of year. 
And if you're spin fishing, you know, anything that's, uh, spin, uh, you know, mimics a minnow, little spinners and stuff like that are good year round. All right, Pat. And that is uh, just about going to do us for today. Do you have just any final fishing advice for all the people out there? Well, like you said, you know, these, uh, these nice days are short and are, are limited here and uh, winter's coming. So get out there while you can. All right, I've been talking with Pat Hasberg over at the DNS Bait Shop here in Madison. Remember, you can hear an updated fishing report anytime that you want just by calling one simple number. Uh, that's 608-BIG-FISH. Pat, thanks for talking with me, and good luck out there. Thanks, Nate. Always a pleasure. It's not hard to find the signs that autumn is making its glorious return, and with the changes of the season comes a bit of mystery. This week on Radio Chipstone, Jennifer Fields speaks with two anonymous individuals who celebrate Halloween in their own way. Living in Wisconsin, we know what's coming when we see the bright green leaves of summer turn into brilliant gold and red of fall. Yet somehow, we still love autumn. We pull on sweaters, dig out socks, and build bonfires. Fall is the slow-your-roll season when we put away summer fun and get ready for winter. But some folks are just getting started. This particular pumpkin carver wants to remain anonymous, so I'll take a page from H.P. Lovecraft and call her She Who Is Not To Be Named. Yeah, it's wordy, but it totally suits her. She, for short, says her desire to carve pumpkins starts to build early in the season. Something about just seeing them really drives me nuts. So uh, we decided that something had to be done. It was late at night, you know, that kind of thing. We like to dress up, we like to paint our faces. So we got, we did all that and we snuck out and crept around the neighborhood. We wrote down the addresses so we knew where to return them to and then went home, carved them and put them back. It took a while, but we got it all done, and we left them with candles so they could light them up. She, who was not to be named, says her obsession began in grade school, that it's something she obviously continued into her 30s. Yeah, when she was a young, mad pumpkin carver, it was cute, encouraged even. But as an adult, not everyone's into it. I think if there's somebody you know, carving a pumpkin for them is fine, but just carving a pumpkin for a stranger, that just seems a little bit, you know, crazy. (laughs) Not crazy, but just kind of (laughs) too much. (laughs) There goes the innards. I don't have to see the look. I just, she says, hey, I want to grab that pumpkin and carve it. That's her partner, who shall also remain nameless. Hey, Madison's a small town, and one slip of my lip and her cover is blown. So let's call him the voice of reason, a.k.a. Mr. Killjoy. And he says, Well, I say, you know, that's on their porch, and you should probably not touch stuff that's on other people's property without their permission. That's, you know, that's just the way I was raised. For me, it connects to that person who would grab a pumpkin and smash it. And I know she said, you know, that's not good either that's evil and to me it's just it's close because you're snapping it up and you know it's gone for a time even though it returns probably improved it's still you know it's people's property you just don't grab people's property she says it makes her sad to hear him say that but 
stealing them is fun. <laughs> because it's part of it's part of the joy of Halloween. It's part of trick or treat. And I, I think if there's three or more, I'm not doing any harm. Um, and if they're really decorated, you know, if they're doing a Martha Stewart type decoration, then I don't touch them. But if they have, you know, the cobwebs up and the the stones up, then then I'll steal one and put it back because I think that they'll enjoy the treat or the trick of the treat. It's kind of both combo. But um, I had a coworker who really got on my case who thought I was doing a terrible disservice and really um, gave me a talking to and thought that I was stealing from children. So I just started buying them. She, who is not to be named, says she has mended her ways. Or maybe not. When I go buy houses, I still feel the drive to nab one, carve it, and put it back. And actually, my current desire is to... Uh, I have a kit, and now I've gotten it down to under 15 minutes that I can carve a pumpkin and put it back. And so if I had, like, one of those little minor headlamps, I could just sit on their porch, carve it, that puppy, and get it done with and just set it down and leave it for them as a surprise in the morning when they wake up. And that would really, really make me happy. But I sort of feel like that also would creep the heck out of everybody. <laughs> you know, what's that creature doing on my porch? You would probably... Uh, that, that would really, really, even I think that probably would cross the line. For WORT, I'm Jennifer Field. And that's a wrap. Thank you for supporting WORT's live local news at 6. Special thanks to feature contributors D-Star and Jennifer Fields. And thank you to our pledge rappers, Jonah Chester and Sean Bull. Engineer Dylan Brogan got the news on the air. And Sholly Pittman is the news director here at WORT. I'm your host, Nate Wuggiehout. And I'm your host, Allison Markoski. It's been a pleasure tonight. Up next is the Perpetual Notion Machine. Good night.